Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims, and con artists. We don't like these people in the shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction, and mock them mercilessly. Take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoister for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and today we pop on our berets, get all dressed up in tight black clothing, and wander around art galleries wondering what the fuck is going on <laughs> and why on earth a three by five meter canvas covered in red paint with a black square on it is worth $60 million. Mm, we're not art guys, but we will pose a question. Why the fuck can't these people paint a tree that looks like a tree and sky that's blue with a few puffy clouds in it? Yep, that's right, Jack. I just want milk that tastes like real milk. <laughs> so welcome to the world of modern art and the scams that allow ultra-high wealth individuals, some of the shittest people in the world, to launder their black money and increase their obscene wealth while the poor just get poorer. It's raw naked capitalism at its worst, but unlike other elements of investment, it is completely unregulated has almost no oversight and becomes the preferred method of money laundering for horrific people needing to wash their bloody drug and mass murder money. Russian mobsters in acid-washed jeans and white running shoes are saying, I don't know much about art, but I like that idiot Andy Warhol's shitty screen print because I paid the price of a ham sandwich for it and now it's worth $50 million. Yep, not a bad day's work. It, realistically, it's the biggest grief you've never heard of and one that ensures the super rich get even more obscenely rich based on nothing. While the rest of us walk around with the ass out of our strides, worrying about how we can't afford to buy a studio apartment this side of Burke. And we'll get right up that colossal act of greed and criminality in our deeper dive. But right now, we've got to take a look at all the ugliness the world has stuck under our noses over the last seven days in the Conditional Release Program's weekly news. So it's Anzac Day in Australia, lest we forget fallen soldiers. Very sad. And for our overseas listeners, just so you know, Anzac Day is our national holiday where we commemorate Australian soldiers who have died over the passage of the last maybe 100 years, mm. primarily in the disastrous attempt to take Gallipoli on the coast of Turkey, which was just was the a first one. fucking yes. massacre. And it was just such bullshit. And a lot of people have died over these past 100 years, for better or worse, for freedom or for just for bullshit reasons. And... Um, at the end of the day, we take a day off, we get really pissed, we play two up, which is a simple gambling game where you flip two coins and they bet on the outcome. We get quite passionate about this game. Some people get up at the crack of dawn to remember those fallen, it's called the dawn service, and then start drinking about 7am because we are fucking weird people. We are proud, weird, strange nutcase people <laughs> and i want to give a shout out to uh les known as lovely lovely les and ken today vietnam vets oh. nashos conscripts yeah. going quietly about their lives at 19 when they uh, lost the conscription lotto and they did it hard in vietnam on patrol where every two weeks out of three they'd walk through the jungle with almost every step a moment frozen in terror a lovely will be having his first beer around 11 i'd reckon ken maybe a bit later i played uh, cricket with both these blokes and they were fine blokes Find me. Uh, one story too rarely told is uh, that then Prime Minister Robert Menzies lied to the Parliament about what he said was a request from the US for Australia to contribute troops in Vietnam. It was, dick. in fact, the other way around. Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War was based on a lie, a piece of mm. Menzian sycophancy. Anyway, in the here and now, a day like Anzac Day will be manipulated by people with an agenda who would know the first thing about the sort of sacrifice guys like Les and Ken made. I actually didn't know that about Menzies. That's fucking awful. Um, yeah, so basically with anything like this, it just ends up being a political football. It's often a play toy for nationalists to decide who's Australian and who isn't. And now, which comes as a surprise to absolutely nobody who's been paying attention to these fucking morons over the last while, killed oh, fuckwits are making it all about them. Yeah. So- Friend of the podcast, Sharon, otherwise known as SOS149 on Twitter. Hey, Sharon. She posted a tweet about this very thing and provided some examples of this egregious hijacking of what is a solemn occasion. Absolutely. Rafael Fernandez, usual mm, fucking suspect, God. and a couple of his dickhead mates stood outside Flinders Street Station in Melbourne and basically just hassled people with terribly written signs. <laughs> his one is so bad. It says, Anzacs fought for your ignorance. Like, what? what? What does that mean? Like what? They are words, Raphael. They are words. That's that's all I can tell you. It's just uh, it's just thrown together. And, it's like uh, he's having a contest with Thanos to see who's dumber. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? 
it's a tough contest, but Fanos will always win. My money's still on Fanos. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Sanji Sablock, this just weird fucking guy. I don't know his story properly. God, he just seems so malevolent. Uh, he's an ex-public service, uh, public servant from Victoria. Mm. Now he's at Reignite Dramoxy Australia Shield. He and he made some stirring fucking video about how the Anzacs would feel about COVID restrictions. And it's like, yeah, okay, thanks, mate. Thanks for using the voices of dead people to push your political <laughs> agenda. I mean... How do these people fucking sleep? But on the flip side of this, state governments have played it safe for a virus that has not seen community transmission in some time. I mean, like, where is COVID? Well, Perth. Perth today. Yeah. It's in Perth. Perth. That's where it is. Where's COVID? Perth. But currently under lockdown due to a small outbreak. I get it. Like, you know, everyone can have their little debates about what the thing is, but having their festivities cancelled makes a bit of sense. One person went down, there would be a fucking nightmare. But other parts of the country have limited numbers, massive restrictions on the event, which has made a bit of a shit show. And I've heard, uh, you know, very third hand, the veterans have just decided not to bother going because they just mm. can't be bothered. It's just too much hassle. The QR yeah. codes and registration and fucking whatever. So this is the same weekend where 75,000 people- Oh, more than that. More than that. Yeah, well, yeah, probably 80, yeah. yeah. And they're going to go watch a footy down at the MCG. And like, look, I'm glad they're going to the footy. I think it's great there's no COVID, but I can see how people will be pissed off. It seems like a real double standard for the Anzacs as opposed to the footy. And everyone always uses the footy as the, the, you know, the bellwether for what's fair and what's not. And, you know, it is what it is. But this is not a prompt to make the day all about anti-vaxxers it's just fucking yeah, not. it's not that at all yeah the idea that people get to decide what the fucking Anzacs fought for is as old as the holiday itself so of course these anti-vax pricks have jumped on the bandwagon a lot of uh, the Anzacs died due to the callous decisions of foreign military commanders and one or two of the locals including the now rightly maligned Field Marshal Thomas Blaney in the Kakata campaign in World War 2 not good form not good form there's a lot of fuckwits involved but guess who the biggest fuckwit of today is it's Raphael Fernandez yeah, dickhead Mates. Special fuck you to Ref Fernandez. Absolutely. It's not about you, champion. You don't get to say what the Anzacs no. fought for. Just fuck off. <laughs> so, like, look, we should have seen this coming on my way because these assholes who do anything for a photo opportunity. They're such opportunistic grubs. But it is still sad to see the deaths of so many kids being appropriated for some bullshit hobby cult that thinks it's a political movement. Just fuck off. Uh, and uh, in Western Australia, the probably the heart of the Sovsit movement in Australia, oh, yeah. I, I dare say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a Sovsit uh, got owned by a judge and is proud as fuck about it. Oh, my God, this kid. The, the shit-eating smile looks her <laughs> up. She's, she just looks like such an asshole. Uh, this chestnut was posted several times in the shitposting group. I actually found out about it through the shitposting group. It's working. Um, as the case unfolded, we have now got the outcome. And while the utterly spineless judiciary should have jailed her for this, they did almost <laughs> nothing to set an example for the next idiot that tries this on. <laughs> on Reddit, the uh, the Oslo guys were saying that maybe they should have made her unfit to stand trial due to mental incapacity and just indefinitely <laughs> held her at the governor's bloody pleasure. Governor's pleasure. She's only 18. She's, I know. She's just 18. I know. She's yeah. a kid. The bloodlust is a bit, but you know, still, sort of met up. This is nuts. Just fucking stop this shit, please. So as much as I'm sad that they didn't give her 13 months, it has been fun to watch unfold. I do owe her a small debt of gratitude for just like a news story that I get to play with. I think it's really funny. <laughs> Thanks, Phoebes. So an 18-year-old subset whose corporate entity is named Phoebe Lee Bennett, because you know that's how they work, fronted the magistrate's courts in Bustleton, fully prepared with a subset script, which predictably just annoyed the shit out of the magistrate and resulted eventually in a conviction recorded. Oops. In a pre-trial hearing, she claimed she did not consent to the charges, which comes as a surprise to nobody who's followed Sobsits ever. <laughs> oh, no, consent. Oh, it's a nice, it's an oldie it's, but a goodie. It is an oh, oldie but a goodie. I do not consent. And it's great. It's just the absolute textbook fucking dumbass thing they say. I was amazed. What happened is that all charges were dropped and the magistrate immediately just self-immolated, just poured kerosene over himself and just set himself on fire. And now Phoebe is the king of the Republic of Western Australia. So, I <laughs> mean, Australia. joke's on us, right? West Australia. Yeah, it's West called Australia. Australia now. Yeah. Uh, uh, the magistrate simply assumed that a gibberish was her special way of saying not guilty and the, and the simple matter of appealing a speeding fine went to trial. The yeah. magistrate warned this annoying little turd that her arguments were nonsense and she was wasting the court's time. But this, mm-hmm. of course, uh, fell on deaf ears, soft sits, they're not good listeners. No. Uh, Phoebe no, Bennett uh, refused to confirm her name, describing herself only as free person on the land from the family Bennett. 
which is a typical sausit move, as we all know, to deny the existence of their straw man legal identity. Because that's what they think. It's one of their cheat codes to get out of trouble. It just never works, unlike IWDQD, which always worked in Doom, unless you typed it in wrong, but yeah, yeah, that's all right. She's got a conviction now. Yeah, she really does. She's a fucking Mm. idiot. So this free man was clocked doing 127 kilometers in a 110 zone in her Holden Astra. Um, I can only imagine the bumper stickers on the back of it. This resulted in a fine which she took to court. One can only assume under the guidance of some fucking sovsick grifter that sells the dream of being able to do whatever the fuck you want without consequence if you say a few things in front of a judge. It clearly works, right? So Bennett apparently had a statement prepared with a bunch of the usual bullshit international conventions that sovsits just love to cite. They're not binding, you idiot, and was ushered out of the court. Remove, and, remove the girl. And this is great. She said, let the record show that you will not accept evidence. <laughs> let, the, let the record show. Let the I mean, where do you think show. she's picked that up from? I mean, she's, yeah. she's picked that up from Boston Legal, I reckon. Yeah, she's uh, too young for LA Law. Let the record show that you will not accept evidence as they're dragging her out of a courtroom. Just imagine the confidence she said it with as well. Just like that, <laughs> just like dumb confidence. So this was just her like, you know, fucking like, you know, her, her, her moment of defiance. You know, <laughs> this was her stand and she showed that the irrational court just won't listen to her like bulletproof defense. You know, the whole thing is just rigged. If only they'd listen. Well, the result was that due to refusing to confirm her identity, she was just simply convicted in absentia, um, which basically was like as if she didn't show up at all. She's just like, well, if you're not going to say your name, then you may as well not have turned up. Fuck you, conviction. It's not a smart move. Not a smart move. I mean, she doesn't seem very clever. I was reading that this does actually raise issues of procedural fairness and quite likely would wind up in a retrial if appealed because mm. this does have fairly shady things about whether she was absent or not and, you know, what, what it really means to be in the courtroom. Mm. But what's going to happen? They're going to do a retrial. She's just going to say the same shit and the same <laughs> result's going to happen. Absolutely. So, like, That's something, what's the point? That is something you can take to the bank. Yeah. Um. So, like, <laughs> the fine is something like 200 bucks, but the conviction will show up in police checks and theoretically make it difficult for her for travel, which is her God-given right, to certain countries like the USA where criminal convictions can compromise your ability to get the visa waiver. Uh, yeah, just, just owning the deep state there by getting a criminal Fuck. conviction. Maximum inconvenience so there embarrassing. to own the deep state. Too but she's had bucks. a win that was much larger than loss. She went on to say, it is with pride, let the record show, it let is with pride show. and honour that I've been able to raise these important issues to the public's attention today. And without realising that people are laughing at her, not with her, and the issues that she brought to public attention is that there are idiots that live among us that believe they have cheat codes to get out of speeding fines. She relied on the support of her attorney, William Atherton, who, bizarrely enough, I couldn't find on the Register of Legal Practitioners oh, in Western Australia. Really? Oh, <laughs> gee, what, how could that be? Yeah, so like Atherton is apparently from New Australia, which oh, is a group of New Australia. It's <laughs> yeah. a New Australia. As opposed to the old one, you know, <laughs> the crap one. It's a New Australia. That had folks. laws. That's an important so, part of the. They're basically, puzzle completed. A new they're just secessionists. You know, just your usual garden variety, you know, draw <laughs> a line, them. call God it a day. Ever, ever explain to them how, you know, expensive it would be to basically yeah. uh, raise an army, raise a navy, raise an air force, have yeah. intelligence networks, uh, have yeah. intelligence sharing uh, yeah. with other nations. Yeah, look, but look, it's a terrific idea. I do love a secessionist. It's the worst, it's, a, it's a, a new Australian secessionist. A lot of paperwork, but it could just be worth it. And you know what? I fully support it. And you get, and if you are going to secede, keep Gina Reinhardt because we just <laughs> – I don't give a fuck. We do not need you, Western Australia. Ooh. Iron ore prices aren't that good. And speaking of people who are surplus to requirements, NDIS provider Matilda Borden has pulled the pin on her disabled clients, Joel. Yeah, this really gave me the shits this week. Um, so basically, the latest anti-vax trope is that vaccinated people are actually the infectious ones. <laughs> mm. Cool logic. So this is based around the idea of viral shedding, which is just completely baseless because COVID vaccines do not share the virus. It's nope. just not a thing. It's not just not at a all. thing. Not a thing. Just I'm not going to go into the reasons. It just mm. isn't a thing. Google yeah. it if you like. So yeah. this shithead, Matilda Bowden, has sent a letter to her NDIS clients saying she refused to see any clients that have been vaccinated. I mean, it's just beyond the fucking pale. And the thing that really fucks me off and makes this so offensive is that this letter 
was sent to her autistic clients. People on the autism spectrum are sensitive to routine and she's threatening to interrupt this routine based on this bullshit cult reliefs. I'm fucking ropeable. Not only her, but she's also claiming this on behalf of her staff, which sounds very shady legally. And I don't know how many people this lady has working underneath her at any time, but it's all based on the idea of viral shading, which is not a fucking thing. So- People on Twitter were calling for her NDIS registration to be revoked. But the thing is, she isn't registered and she doesn't even have to be because although I have no idea how she has these staff members without registration because as far as I know, it's only sole traders who can be unregistered. Under the NDIS, basically anyone can do care work and just send an invoice off and it's paid as an independent sole trader. I mean, there's caveats and things, but for the most part, it's just an unregulated practice. There Send is, an invoice, there is get a paid. Code of, there is a code of conduct that all NDIS uh, providers, registered or otherwise, have, have to uh, live by. And indeed, a spokesperson for the NDIS said of uh, Borden that, they, that she seemed to be in breach of it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's only really an issue with the code of conduct if you get a complaint. She's in a situation where the complaints actually come through the media. Uh, I'm not sure if the person who sent the letter to the ABC, hmm. I don't know if they've actually complained I've got no idea of the backstory, but uh, we will we will be finding out. Yeah. So the thing is, it turns out Matilda has been a social worker for some time. From what mm. I've seen, probably about twenty years. And during the course of this career, Matilda has become peeled as fuck. I mean, like not only is she peeled, she's actually red peeled, like in the literal sense, the old school MRA term. She's Ooh. a proud men's rights activist. I mean, that was the first red pill. The, the you know, take the yeah. red pill and realize that There's all women are terrible. <laughs> it's a you know, stand out that one. Yeah, it's not great. So she even went as far as holding a public screening of that bloody documentary, The Red Pill. I mean, what Uh a twat. She's also a massive advocate for men's rights in the family court, which prima facie isn't a bad thing as such until you see her Twitter history. It would not be good. It'd Mm. be like, she's really hardcore. And like, it begs the question, who the fuck are our social workers? Who the fuck are these people who are taking care of our vulnerable and doing it on government money? I mean, Craig Cole, self-proclaimed light worker, sovereign citizen, ex-pro wrestler, and like this giant (laughs) leader of the initial anti-lockdown movement. Here's a social worker who works with disengaged youth over the past yeah. 15 years and, I'm assuming, counting. What's mm. he been telling his clients on the government dime? What's he been saying, uh, you know, while he's hanging out with his uh, with his clients? He's yes. still actively spreading misinformation on Facebook and I can only assume that he's still acting as a social worker. It is very, very hard to believe that he keeps his passionate views from his vulnerable youth clients trying to keep a barrier between work and personal interest. I don't buy it. He preaches about waking people up all the fucking time. Who's he waking up at work? Is he waking up his fucking clients? Waking them up. Yeah, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, you know, that's just, it's it's so worrying. I didn't think about peeled social workers until now. The Craig Cole thing, it just sort of felt like a one-off, but apparently it's fucking rife. Mm. So in her letter declaring that she refuses. Yeah. Yeah. So, Borden's letter, refusing to work with vaccinated clients, she refers to her Rumble account, which is this like heavily peeled media platform, kind of like BitChute, which is full of anti-vax nonsense. I couldn't actually find her account and it was blurred out in the letter and it may have since been deleted. But either way, I can only imagine the absolute cesspool of shit that's on there. So, like when you think about it, how many hours on government money has Matilda spent showing her clients anti-vaccine materials? Like, Mm. has she been showing off her Rumble profile on, on the job? How can we know she doesn't openly attempt to persuade her clients to avoid vaccines and push paranoid conspiracy theories into their minds while they're spending time together? I don't know. And while Bowden's Twitter has been suspended for like obvious reasons because like she was posting lunacy, her username is tagged in so many deep conspiracy theory materials. Like she's not fucking around. She's not a casual conspiracist. She is mm. deeply, deeply pilled. So whether she's allowed to resume NDIS business as usual is completely up in the air. I have no idea. But this brings another question, which is one that is going through my brain on absolute hyperloop. How many social workers out there are pilled as fuck? How many people on the NDIS are using their allowance to have someone whispering paranoid delusions to their ears? Mm. How many vulnerable people are going to refuse the fucking vaccine due to something their trusted caretaker told them or, of course, showed them on the internet while they were working together? I mean, it's, it's baffling my fucking mind. Now, the NDIS has a new challenge. Absolutely eradicate pill people from these ranks and watch them do absolutely fucking nothing. Well, I mean, 
Mm. Faced with a genuinely terrifying prospect of our most vulnerable members of society being lured into anxious dread about conspiratorial plots that simply don't exist and then being convinced to abstain from the vaccine that will ultimately save them once COVID opens up, the borders come up and everything turns back to normal and COVID ravages a community, these people are fucking vulnerable. I reckon they're going to do fuck all. Well, look, I'm not so sure, um, but, but certainly you shouldn't die wondering, Joel. Uh, and I'd reckon someone you should be talking to, corresponding with, is Bill Shorten, who's basically yeah. the policy founder of the NDIS and yeah, the shadow baby. spokesman, um, because it is an issue um, yeah. that, that it, certainly in the Borden case, it needs to be looked at in terms of yeah. whether she should be providing the NDIS at all uh, and whether she is, in fact, providing other services to to other government departments. So to, to, it may well be through state welfare departments and those sorts of things. Those things need to be examined. So, yeah, maybe uh, drop Bill Short in the line. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll send him an email. Because, like, look, it's one of those things where this sort of thing just cannot be left unchecked and ministerial attention is is warranted i think cuz the like the future of these uh, you know these pilled ndis providers is uncertain and we don't really know what they're going to be doing about it mm. and sometimes these organizations need a nudge i'm definitely keeping an eye on this this has got me really fired up so i'll be seeking comment from the ndis and seeing basically what's happened with bowden until i get some sort of answer and of course we'll keep you informed as we go yes and uh look another news we and uh, we really don't need to cover the Chauvin verdict because we all know no. what happened. It's a good move in the right direction. It was a good decision. Yes. And yep. uh, as uh, many reporters uh, and commentators suggested, it allowed the U- US uh, just a, a moment to breathe for a little while. Yes. Um, yep. And the next, of course, the next flashpoint will be sentencing. But um, yes. Yes, uh, yes, it may be a red herring, which uh, creates a facade of, of the police taking action. I'm I'm against police brutality. We I would expect significant changes within the Minnesota so. State Police Department. Yeah. Like, so basically in this, it's been covered to death by everyone else. I don't yes. think we have anything special to say about the thing itself, but- as my excellent cousin and friend of the podcast, Peter Maxwell, reminded me recently, there is a wonderful conspiracy theory regarding Chauvin and George Floyd. Oh, dear. So, basically, everything that makes Republicans look like pricks has to be a false flag. You know, like the insurrection, all the mass shootings where it's like, you know, I love Trump. It's like, oh, no, it's, he's an actor. Yeah, fuck off. So, <laughs> it only really works when it's a mass shooting, it's something about cops, and then they just... Flip it around and, of course, somehow it's the Democrats' fault. Well, this one's great because they just went straight flip onto it and now it's a Freemasons. The theory goes that Chavin is basically an actor. And how do we know this? Well, he looks like the guy from Cash Cow. (laughs) I mean, so I don't need any other, uh, you know, if you put their faces together, they look similar. So Mm. let's, let's just call it. He's the guy from Cash Cab. And then you've got Floyd, who's not dead, which is really nice. Yeah, he's uh, still alive, is he? Yeah, he's gone to a farm up north. I'm pretty sure um, I saw him die. Yeah, um, well, yeah, which is not pleasant. Um, mm. But an amazing piece of footage, let's face it. And he's a Freemason, uh, whatever uh, that means. Yeah. Does, that, does that mean anything anymore? It just anymore? doesn't mean anything. It's just it doesn't, a yeah. collect-all term for yeah. someone in the deep state, a bit of a player. Yeah, just a big catch-all. So basically what happened was the uh, cash cab guy and a Freemason got together under the instruction of the Illuminati to create racial tension through this big uh, ploy. So, cash cab guy, mate, you deserve an Oscar. You did really well. And you took one for the team because, I mean, people are pissed at you. And George Floyd, mate, wherever you are, sipping on a pina colada and some beach somewhere or, or as they say, a farm up north, Mm. uh, well done to you too. You, oh, you were very convincing. You really did stop breathing there. That's great. Well done. So that's a little bit of movie magic for you guys. You know, uh, utter, who said imagination was dead? Utter, utter madness. Derek what Chauvin is, is a crisis shits. actor and yeah. George Floyd is alive and well. And now it's time to bring you our new segment. It's just a week old and already it has stirred up a, a lot of controversy with Sky News celebrity presenter Corey Bernardi describing it as, don't ever walk in on me in the bathroom again. Yeah. Yes, that's right, listeners. It's time to take a trip, not just into the darkest corners of the net, but into the darkest minds, the most shattered souls and the blackest of hearts when we ask, which black pill fuckwit said that? <laughs> So, the first one, this one's great. I really actually like this one. I'm not sure what it means. Uh, apparently, I'm a danger to people, but the people that allow this to happen are medical professionals dealing with a calculated risk. Ooh. 
Okay. All right. That's meaningless. Um, (laughs) Just just doesn't mean anything. It doesn't Um, mean anything. It's just just words just tossed in a machine and just. But the people that allowed it to happen are doctors, really. Don't know. So the first option, Mm. Pete Evans, usual, (sighs) typical. Yeah. Could be him. Yes. Did Thanos Panagides come out with this little piece of genius? Well, it, it, it is a very stupid thing, so it could be Thanos. But there's no spelling mistakes, so I don't know. Now, is this no. old Robert F. Kennedy just lashing out how, oh, everyone says I'm dangerous, but I'm just spreading the truth? Or is it opportunistic producer and general fuckwit Del Bigtree, who just lies like it's the truth, you know, just mm. casually? I mean, he's not a danger to people. He's just annoying. He's just a... Plague. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you look. All four of them are dangerous to people. <laughs> yes. Degrees. Yeah, I didn't make this one easy for you. I didn't make this uh, one easy. For you. I, I wanted you to suffer on this one. Yeah, look, it's really got a bit of the the Pete in it uh, because there is at least the first person singular there, man. Because yeah. you know that's a Pete thing. I'm apparently yeah. I'm. Yeah. You know, so that's all that him. But Thanos is pretty. Pete. You know, pretty I'm going to go. As well. I'm going to go nuts here and say that's Robert F. Kennedy. Ooh, oh, shit. All right. I'm going to give you a second guess, though. I'm going to give you a second chance draw. Well, then I, then I will go with Pete. Ooh, ba And Del Bigtree was a total red herring. The thing that got you, the thing that threw you off, no spelling mistakes. No spelling mistakes. That it's Thanos. Thanos. It's Thanos. He's as, learned how to use autocorrect auto or as spell check. Has he installed spell check? He's, he's figured some shit out. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a big step so, forward for Thanos. Nothing it's a huge now. step forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite special. So, realistically, Thanos. that was a hard one. Thanos, I, I, I love you, son. Apparently, yeah. I'm a danger to people. Yeah, there's that first person singular. Yeah, I should have got yeah. it. Uh, yeah. But the people that allow this to happen are medical professionals dealing with the calculated risk. You're right. It absolutely makes no fucking sense. Yeah, oh. you can see it. Yeah, but it yeah. could easily have been Pete. I would have guessed Pete, personally. This game's harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, nah, this, nah, I'm not fucking around this week. So this one is this one's great. This one also makes no sense. Um, it's so clear the rollout is not going to plan. If it was, they wouldn't need to try so hard. From concerts to flights to sport events, they're trying everything, but it's not working. Jokes on them. No apostrophe on the jokes. Oh, I just noticed that. Oh, there's so many things wrong with it. Yeah, just <laughs> oh, it's just bad. Ellipsis everywhere. It's just gross. It's so clear the rollout is not going to plan. If Ugh. it was, they wouldn't need to try so hard from concerts, which is just lep- just a major leap in topic there. From concerts to flights to sports events, they're trying everything in caps, but it's not working. Jokes, no apostrophe on them. I don't get it. So basically, here's your role. There's Pete Evans again, mm-hmm. because basically anything could be him. There's old Monica Smith from Reignite Democracy Australia. There's our friend with the sign, Rafael Fernandez, or recently disgraced and uh, recently disbarred, disbarred, struck the fuck off, mm-hmm. Serene Tafaha. Serene Tafaha. Well, look, I reckon this is Monica Smith. I reckon it, it's just got her written all over it, but it's not working. There's a bit of a shout at the end there. It's not working. I can't get one past you. Right? That is absolutely correct. Uh, huzzah. Yeah, yeah, you got that in one. And look, yeah, that wasn't quite as hard as the first one, but I still, I figured you, I could, you could easily go, <laughs> Raphael and Pete Evans. Serene was a freebie. I figured you'd probably rule her out straight away. Yeah, yeah, had to tend to rule her out. She only talks about herself. Monica, Monica Smith. Look, I'm just making an offer to. I know she's listening in. Um, just Monica, <laughs> if you are, uh, hope not. If you, if you don't, I am prepared to teach you how apostrophes work. And, <laughs> and you know, I know it's one of those skills. You're probably away on the day, probably away yeah. quite a lot of days at school. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I am prepared to help out Monica Smith with the use of apostrophes, both both in terms myself. of abbreviation and in terms of possessive yeah. use of apostrophes. Mm. Possessive. I think she likes possessive. She seems quite possessive. Yes. Um, so yes, now here's the last one. will be possessed. But anyway. Now, you're not getting the lounge suite this time, but you might get the luggage if you try really hard. The luggage. Hard. The luggage. It's always worth more than the you box. think. It's wor- always worth way more than you think. Um, <laughs> so have you, now this is the quote, have you noticed a pattern yet as to when cases mysteriously appear and then they need to put the states into lockdown? Remember, the vaccines can only be administered in a state of emergency. Funny how no journalists have worked this out yet. Same in New Zealand. It would seem the media are a major part of the circus. 
Number one, Pete Evans again. Uh-huh. Now, was this Monica having a bit of a fumey? Uh-huh. Was this Rafael Fernandez doing his usual, I'm doing this between selling Shungite posts? Or Morgan C. Jonas, the RDA firebrand who makes more content than he watches, I think. I think he needs I, to read more books than he writes. I don't know who Jonas is. Oh, what? I tell you what, he's a flawed individual. He's just, he's really good at radicalizing normies because he really cuts through, I don't know how, he's got like this sort of like, if you if you're into that kind of thing, he's got charisma. Um, but if you have the sensibility of anything more than a doormat, you actually find him to be quite obnoxious and just a general, just sort of anti-vax player, big in the RDA field. You know, ha- take it about thirty seconds of one of his videos and try not to puke. Have you noticed a pattern yet as to when cases mysteriously appear and then they need to put the states into lockdown? No question. There's a mark. huge hint. No in there, question mark. At the end of that, remember the vaccines can only be administered in a in a state of emergency. Funny how no journalists have worked this out yet. That's a, that's a knock on me. Someone's had a go. <laughs> where it is, had a go at me. Same in New Zealand. The last line is has got a massive hint in it. Uh, it was seen in the media are a major part of the circus. Of course, we're all involved. We go yep. to the meetings. You know, yep. big cabal. Uh, big cabal. Uh, look, I'm just not seeing Pete in that. Um, just not seeing Pete in that. Oh, gee, it's close. I'll have to go. I don't even know who this guy is, but you, you told me he's an RDA guy. There's got a lot of RDA in this stuff. I'm going to say Morgan Jonas. Is it Morgan really, C. Jonas? It's a reasonable guess, but I'm not even going to give you a second chance because oh, I think you'll dear, blow it. it's Pete. It's Pete. It was Pete at the, Pete. At the circus. It's the circus, Damn. mate. That's, that's where the hint was. That's why I said the last sentence that's got yeah. the hint in it. Because well, he always says circus. He really does. Yeah, you're right. And he, he really loves do, the circus thing. He really does have this love hate relationship with the media. Is he still <laughs> sucking up? Is he still sucking up to get on sixty minutes after Probably. just slapping everybody <laughs> <laughs> across the entire across the entire profession? Look, um, I don't mind the pedophiles anymore. I just want to come on your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, look, much, you know, yeah. and you'll put me up in a hotel, and and I'll be able to walk around barefoot, and yeah, yeah all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and Pete demand Evans, things like a fucking. Have you diva. noticed a pattern yet? Has it- He's, yeah. he's sitting there. He's got the uh, the punch board in the office there, and he's just he's, he's working on patterns. Yeah, he's yeah. he's oh, like yeah. Crowy in um, yeah. yeah, beautiful mind. He's yeah. like Crowy in a beautiful mind. He's just got he's got the clippings everywhere, and he's just noticed a pattern. I tell you what, I would never describe Pete Evans' brain as a beautiful mind. <laughs> <laughs> just no, no. casually, There's nothing beautiful about that. I, look, no. I, I, and I also extend the same thing I've said to uh, Monica Smith. If if Pete, you ever struggle with uh, understanding where a question mark. Uh, should end at the end of a sentence. Uh, pop along, mate. I'll uh, I'll bang it into your head. I'll hit you over the head with a couple of grammar books until you fucking learn. <laughs> and now we ask listeners to send us an email if they've come across something really stupid said by black pill fuckwits. We want your input, listeners. If you've recently come across something posted that is so odd, so bizarre that it can only be appreciated by the criminally stupid, drop us a line. We'll flick a conditional release program stubby holder to any listener contribution that features in this segment. And the conditional release program stubby holders are the coolest stubby holders knocked up in Australia from local child labour. Yeah. The stitching around the base is uh, first class. So fine, you can only do this kind of quality work if you've got tiny little child fingers. And it's all yours if you can tell us which black pilled fuckwit said that. Drop us a line, listeners, to the conditional release program at gmail.com. And now, Joel, we now turn to our deeper dive and our very arty, our very arty topic. Uh, we're very arty guys. We, we're well, actually... I'm the cultural elite. I've got a paint-splattered smock. I should go and pop it on. Uh, yes. Because we're going to go deep, a deep dive into the art world. The Jackson Pollock work, uh, Blue Poles, was first purchased by an art collector in 1957 for $32,000, which is a year, a year after the artist died. It certainly turned out to be a bargain. Uh, some of us of a certain vintage will remember the howls of outrage from the Liberal Party and the commentariat. 
uh, back in the day when the Whitlam government purchased uh, Pollock's Blue Poles for $1.3 million in 1973. So from 32 grand in 16 years, not bad. It was yep. a sign, you know, that all the critics were saying, look, this is, this is, this is a kind of profligacy you could expect from the Whitlam government. Uh, there was a huge hue and cry about it at the time, and and it was dragged out in front of the Australian public, who looked at it and went, "Fuck no, nah, it looks yeah. like someone vomited paint." <laughs> of course, it's not like that at all. But anyway, um, yeah, well, it sits, yeah, a, yeah. It sits Tell in the, the National Gallery, and it belongs to us, and it's now valued at three hundred and fifty million dollars which is a fair old return on investment. I don't know what the percentages yeah, would be, but it's well over your 10% uh, per yeah, annum. Yeah. Uh, up yeah. from one over the rate of inflation. Up from $1.3 million in, in, uh, in 1973. Now in 2021, it's worth $350 million. I just sort of point this out. Look, the first thing you say is we're not art connoisseurs. Well, I'm no. certainly not. I don't think Joel is. And, I fucking hate art. I can't tell you a lot about abstract expressionists like Pollock and what their art means. If you do want to know, take a look at Robert Hughes' BBC series, uh, The Shock of the New. I- I've never mm-hmm. seen anyone explain uh, something something as complicated as abstract expressionism as well as Robert Hughes can. You can actually, okay. once he starts talking to you, you actually look at something like Blue Poles and go, oh, yeah, I, I, see, what, I see what's going on there. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, cool. But so we're not we're not those people. We are no. looking at the business of <coughs> art as an enterprise, art as a business, and art is a very dark sort of place, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort this of scams involved in modern art and, and how uh, ultra high wealth individuals, some of the worst people in the world, by the way, Russian oligarchs, arms dealers, organised crime yeah. figures, use modern art as a means of money laundering and tax evasion. Uh, you know, yep. for a start, and modern art makes uh, the ultra rich richer, and it's and it's based on dubious supply and demand techniques, where art collectors and, and galleries conspire to send works of uh, modern artists into sort of stratospheric uh, prices by controlling supply. Um, yeah. For example, um, uh, two galleries or two two individuals really control about 80% of Andy Warhol's artwork. Um, And so when these things are released, we suddenly see prints, and we'll talk about the provenance and some dubious stuff around Warhol shortly, as some of these prints are selling for, you know, $25 $25 million. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, well, it, it is ridiculous because the first thing is that from about 1970 onwards, Warhol's stuff was printed away from him and then would be sent to him for for him to sign. So there's a lot of really dubious stuff around ah, Andy Warhol's, interesting. you know, uh, Campbell soup tins and various um, uh, screen prints of, of celebrities and what have you. Okay. Uh, the thing I love about Warhol, just as, as an extension, is the historian and author Gore Vidal described him as the only genius I've ever known with an IQ of 60. That's um, very good. And, uh, and indeed, uh, he... Uh, he uh, wasn't all that bright uh, and, and, of course, is well and truly deceased, but his paintings now or his prints uh, by collection are, are almost, you know, basically almost worth a trillion dollars if we sat them all yeah. together uh, and, and, and some of them would be of dubious province. So it's a lot of the modern yeah. art stuff. Um, it, so, so we're really not talking about Rembrandts and, and Monet's and things like that because there's a limited supply of those things and, and provenance is fairly well understood. And provenance, by the way, yeah. is basically the authenticity of the painting and basically determining through its owners that it is a ge- the genuine article. Modern art has problems there and, and they're often forgeries and, and, and fakeries. But, but Well, they're easy to do. You just slap a bloody thing on there, you know, make a red box. Yeah. Well, Problem the, solved. The, the real art is the price tag. This is the thing. Yes, you know? isn't it just? So, so Damien Hurst is a, a, a British uh, artist who does yep. big installations. Um, people might remember the uh, what's called the for, the for the Love of God. It's a it's a it's an actual skull of a human being from the 18th century, uh, loaded up with diamonds, and it's sold in 2007 for a hundred million dollars. The diamonds Jesus. on it itself are worth. $23.6 million. So somewhere okay. between the actual worth of the product 
and the marketing and supply of it, there's a there's a differential there of of, of seventy two or sorry seventy. It's a, it's a solid 70, markup. Seventy six million dollars, you know. So and let's face it, you know those diamonds are also inflated by cartel behaviour as well. So I, cartel on cartel there. Yeah, look, that Damien Hurst is a really odd sort of fellow. If you get if you have a a piece of Hurst's work, and and generally they're not going to fit in most living rooms. Yes, uh, often there's <laughs> enormous installations and so forth, but. Um, uh, it's it's actually prepared by a group of people. Hearst is just sort of giving them the idea, and then then off they go and yeah. do it. This this led yeah. to an installation uh, called Pharmacy, which was pretty much a sort of very clinical looking chemist shop, and that was that installation appeared at the Tate Gallery and so forth. And an eighteen year old graffiti artist uh, came along and knocked off a box of pencils that were in the installation on the shelves of the chemist Amazing. shop. Amazing. He was charged. <laughs> he was charged with 500,000 pounds worth of theft. Jesus. Uh, it's a box of pencils, right? It's and he was charged with 500,000 worth of theft, which basically takes that crime <laughs> up into, you know, sitting along just below murder. Yeah. Uh, $500,000 worth of theft and 10 million, sorry, 500,000 pounds worth of theft and 10 million pounds worth of damages. That shows us yeah. how fucking crazy some of this some of this stuff here. Hearst art is overpriced marketing nonsense uh, for the most part where the roots drool over the silliness of it all. The FBI considers modern art to be the sort of last bastion of unfettered capitalism, a marketplace without constraint or regulation. And if gallery owners and collectors were subject to the same controls that exist in financial markets, for example, a lot of them would be bundled up and sent off to jail for very, very long stretches. We are talking about sort yeah. of cartel behaviour where the yep. supply is is governed. The, the purchasers don't mind because they know that they're going to make money out of it. Yeah. The, the, the big galleries and the auction houses, I'm not going to mention names to try and avoid any sort of legal problems, but yes, that, they this, would is smash a, us. this is a sense, yeah, that's right, and it smash us for practice. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, the, this, is, this is a sort of contrived event where no one along the supply chain loses. Right. Yeah. The only people who lose are mugs like you and I, who are sort of funding this through tax concessions, particularly in the US and and in the UK. You know, know, collectors are happy to pay the high price, knowing the price will increase. Galleries load up their prices with, you know, inexplicably expensive shipping and insurance costs. So if you buy work for fifty million dollars. They will charge you another, basically, in some cases, they'll charge you five, perhaps even $10 million to put some fucking bubble wrap on it, <laughs> uh, essentially, you know. And in this yeah, way, in this in this sort of way, it, it, it's almost a perfect way to launder money. Yeah. You know, and you've got some very serious, you know, criminals who own Picassos, you know. Russian yeah. mobsters have monos on the walls, you know. And every year the value of the art, Grows and and it, it grows. The only time we've seen a decline in price, and and it was just sorry, it was not a decline in price. It was declining growth of the price. Was after okay. the GFC when we had a lot of derivatives yeah. players and and fund managers who were all of a sudden broke, who previously yeah. been earning hundred million dollars a year. So yeah. they the dickheads know, who buy this trash. So there was a you know if we look from about the nineteen seventies onwards, what we see is the sort of you know Warhol as the as the as the sort of archetype of this. The value yeah. of his stuff goes from let's say a million in nineteen. Uh, 90 uh, to uh, 15 years later being worth $25 million. Yeah. Now, that's just an extraordinary return yeah. uh, on any sort of investment and it's based on everyone getting getting paid along the way. There's yeah. Te- there's sort of a- Greased palms. It's a bubble that really will never burst. It will only sort of slowly release if there's, you know, economic calamity in the background. But yeah. it's, this stuff just keeps on rolling. Uh, and collectors and their agents have found creative ways to use their art holdings to defer paying taxes. So um, in the US and the UK, um, well, they'll, they'll establish foundations. They'll establish private yeah. museums. This works here too. Uh, and, and, and enjoy all sorts of tax benefits that way. 
Um, yeah. When you purchase artwork, you would pay sales tax on it, GST or VAT. You would pay you, you would pay tax on the capital gain as the thing is sold. But in the states and in the UK, particularly, those things aren't taken into account, provided the collector buys another work for which he is subject within a period of nine uh, months. That, okay. that that person will not have by continuing to buy artworks every nine months. That person just can can continue to kick their taxation obligations down the road potentially forever, and that yeah, and that okay. means so that means that you and I, well, in a in a sort of in a loose way, abstract kind of way, in yeah. an abstract kind of way, are funding this sort of huge wealth creation or wealth um, um, basically tacking on top of the fucking huge pile. Yeah. Um, the gallery owners are, are, are complicit in this um, because they will control supply of these things. Um, and and so they uh, essentially hang, hang on to things. As I say, the, the best example is Warhol stuff. 80% of that is held by two people. Yeah. And so when they roll it out, um, they basically – there are people around who will pay $25 million for an Andy Warhol print. Yeah. But they'll do it knowing that in two years' time it'll be worth fifty, or well, let's say five years' time it'll be worth fifty. Um, yeah, look, some of the some of the world's biggest collectors are, are nowhere near household names. There's a fellow by the name of Zabludowicz, who's a Polish fellow. His family fortune has its origins in arms dealing, which is oh, good. It's a nice business. It's it's good, profitable yeah. business, isn't it? Or always, always like, there. Always a lot of demand for, for a bit of for if for, demand for goes arms. down. Yeah, you know, just just stoke tensions internationally and problem solved. You got business again. Yeah, Alice Walton. You know, the Walmart heiress and uh, the yep. Walmart chain keep people chained into uh, uh, low-paying jobs uh, in retail and so forth, and make a fortune out of doing it. Uh, uh, <clears throat> hedge fund. Hedge fund founder Daniel Ock is another huge collector, and uh, the firm that he paid, uh, the firm that he works for, paid millions of dollars in bribes to government officials in several several African countries in exchange for mining rights. So we are dealing with some pretty dodgy people, and indeed elements of international criminal syndicates. Where you've got this kind of level of profit to be made, you know the the the, yeah. the organised boys are going to be around. The scumbags right? are around. Yeah, um, so that's what we've got. We've got a, We've got an art world that that is completely inaccessible to us. Every now and then, we'll see on our news services and in today at Sotheby's, at uh, Christie's, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. sold for a record eighty-five million dollars, and and no one really sort of yep. thinks about what's going on in the background. Uh, except yeah. that there's a lot of black money floating around in this business. If you took the yeah. black money out of it. And you required these people to be a little bit more transparent and accountable with their with their dealings. The the thing that's the thing. Then I just the, fall over. Yeah, well, it wouldn't fall over, but it, you know, you'd be able to buy a Warhol print for what it's actually really worth. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, or at least close to. Yeah, so that's basically the way it works. The, the, the interesting thing that came up in. In, in uh, my research on this was that artists like uh, Pollock, uh, it came from this great sort of movement, um, abstract expressionism, that was huge in the 1940s and 50s. And re- the, the real reason that their works came to light was down to the CIA. Um, yeah. It's the, the FBI, you know, during in the post-war um, uh, a period, bristled with anti-communist sort of reds under the beds, Sort of paranoids, um, but the CIA was a little bit different. It was a sort of relative ocean of free-thinking intellectuals and liberals, and uh, and they decided that part of the Cold War uh, was to take on the Soviets culturally, uh, uh, and so a branch of the CIA. It's actually there's, there's there's nothing really dark about this, other than 
the money that was used was, you know, sort of CIA money. But but basically, the, you know, the branch of the CIA run and funded uh, what's known as the International Organisations Division, which in turn promoted the Congress for Cultural Freedom. Jesus, that sounds so fucking Orwellian. Uh, it, <laughs> it's just unsettling. Bit, but it's actually it actually promoted the arts. So, so what yeah. was happening is that big US symphonies, symphony orchestras were going across – to 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 the uh, to Europe on tour, uh, yeah, okay. and and in the case of abstract expressionists like uh, Pollock and and uh, Motherwell and others, their work was exposed to European markets through these CIA programs into Europe oh. and so forth, huge galleries and so forth. So, but it, it's likely that that I mean Pollock's work may not have actually. Well, it would have found light and light of day eventually, but but it but its yeah. market just became enormous, really on the back of a CIA operation, How which bizarre. quite rightly sort of pointed out and said, "Look at the beautiful things that are made in the West, and have a look at the fucking art of the Soviet <laughs> Union, which is an absolute fucking brutalist shit shit fight, right? I mean, just terrible, horrible uh, things to look yeah, at, yeah. amusing for us to look at." this day. I mean, if you ever looked at Soviet sculpture, for example, it's all fucking big, muscular fucking guys and, <laughs> and you know, I mean, a little bit like Nazi art in that it was all attached to the propaganda with the state. And so yeah. really, in a way, the CIA, I, I mean, I actually like this project because it, it gave artists work who might not yeah. have otherwise had work and they were saying, look at the beautiful things we make in the West. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. We need another Cold War so the arts can come back after COVID. Yeah, look, <laughs> well, it, it, I guarantee you, in the art world right now, it will not be affected by COVID. Prices will be, it's probably boom time. Uh, back to yeah, boom time probably. after the GFC. The GFC was the, were the only sort of mild kick in the guts they got in that the this extraordinary growth in price sort of slowed a bit. Um, and <laughs> but but uh, in the meantime, everyone with an angle for high profit has got involved. So we've got some very dark human beings involved in the art business and the modern art business alone. But what about yeah. NFTs, Joel? That seems to be the next step, doesn't it? That you know, if we're dealing with uh, a the modern art world, it. which is ethereal, now we're looking at something that's actually fucking surreal. The, yeah, the, the, you know that's intangible. You know the NFTs, non non fungible tokens. How's that yeah. going to play out? I mean, it is infecting the art world already, isn't it? Well, it's interesting. So basically, you were saying that with the you know when they did the news story on Bitcoin, that buying Bitcoin is basically you're investing in the success of organized crime. And I think it's interesting yeah. with the the modern art thing. It's a similar thing with the the uh, the art thing because you know basically if you saw a mass sell off of art because a whole bunch of organized crime syndicates needed the money. Well, I mean, you know, you'd see a very interesting movement in the in the market, similar with Bitcoin, you know, if they all mm. had to sort of liquidate because things were going turning to shit. When it comes to NFT thing, it's so new and it's so shrouded in this like, you know, sort of bizarre novelty that we don't really know what's going on with these like, you know, sort of ultra high, uh, you know, sort of worth people. But we do mm. know that Beeple sold that 5,000 days piece for you know 60 something odd million dollars and that sort of set this train going a lot of this stuff is piecemeal stuff a lot of this stuff is smaller stuff and it's all on this overcrowded blockchain and the thing that's really frustrated me with this is as someone who's interested in tech how the fuck does it work and i looked into it and like what is it i was telling you yesterday i mean on my instagram feed something popped up uh, and 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 a guy's selling a house, and it's really it's not a it's not a mansion. It's a sort of proper suburban sort of home. looked a bit looked a bit looked very nice. wasn't particularly swish, but he, he's selling it as an NFT. And I uh, and I, I said to you, how does that work? And and neither of us could figure it out. It doesn't fucking work. I don't know how it's going to work. Like property is done via Torrens title. That's the way it works. That's and if you don't have it. the Torrens title, you don't own that house. <laughs> and the deed must be done. In paper, in a certain way. Like, I mean, like, I, you know, I haven't done too much real property law, but I know that much. Torrance title in paper. That's all. I mean, like, come on, fucking hell. So, the idea of an NFT for a house is just perpetuating the absolutely absurd novelty of this whole thing. Mm. So, the thing that I found interesting when I was looking into this is that 
the the idea of this non-fungible ownership of something digital, this isn't necessarily the first sort of thing. There was, you know, Martin Shkreli, the farmer bro guy who yeah, pumped yeah, up the price of all those- shit. Yeah. yeah, and he's in jail now, the fucking asshole. Because it turns out he fucked with the wrong people. I think he um, uh, screwed some investors over. Don't worry about the insulin. That was fine. No, no, no. But when you screw <laughs> investors over, you've got to go to jail for that. So insulin, that piece of shit insulin goes goes up by five hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. That's not a problem. Diabetics, who needs them? Um, so basically, he bought the Wu Tang Clan album. Yeah, it was that. a yeah. one-off, one million dollar purchase. And essentially, I'm not sure how they sent it to him. Maybe on a USB stick, maybe on a CD. I don't fucking know. But at the end of the day, that was this interesting thing of buying something that's like a one-off. That's uh, you know, it's a piece of content which you own. That he had the only medium of. And the thing with the non-fungible tokens everyone discusses ad nauseum is that people tend to have access to these files online, which is not really necessarily true. Because, you know, for example, if you were to get the Beeple product, which is basically a collage of all his artworks, you can zoom in on that and you can see each artwork in great detail because, you know, megapixels is a really big fucking JPEG. I can't just go and casually find that JPEG. You know, the guy who bought the NFT would have got an email with that thing, which is, you know, the, you know the, the piece itself. Whether they choose to share it or not, it's up to them. Yeah. But this NFT thing, basically what's happened is it is this thing of clout. And it's the same thing, I think, with the, the idea of owning a, a painting on your wall. That painting is fucking meaningless. I tell you what, if everyone starts going into a famine, you're not going to eat the painting. It's just kind of yeah. useless. But it's a similar thing with the NFT. But with the, with the painting, you've got it on your wall. You can take it off the wall and you can move it somewhere. You can do something with right. it. Now, not yes, only with the NFT. It. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You can charge people to look at it. You can <laughs> evade taxes with it. Um, let's, yes. let's, let's not even go into the tax evasion of crypto. But the thing with the NFT is not only is it that sort of non-tangible thing, but it's also sort of vaporware. Like when you think about it, now the, the, the best mm. thing that I could get was that on the blockchain, there is a digital certificate which is used through an encryption tool, which then gives you this sort of sense of ownership. And you'll have some sort of private key, which will then like, you know, like unlock the encryption thing, which is some sort of code, something like that. But in the end, all this stuff is meaningless. You've got these websites that verify these algorithms and things, but they're all just algorithms and fucking number chains and all this sort of bullshit that at the end of the day, the average rich guy isn't going to know how this works. What they're going to have is they're going to have an app that comes up and says, you've got this. So easy to fraud. Like they all say, this is like, you know, you can't yeah, do fraudulent fraud NFTs. All, it. all over fraud, it. Fraud and fakery written all over it. I mean, it's like Completely. digital trading cards where you can't actually touch the trading cards, you know. Yeah. Like a footy And that, that's a big yeah. thing they've sold. You know, they had the Garbage Power Kids that came out. was one of the first sort of things that uh, happened with the NFTs, which was quite some time ago. And they sold these things for nothing. Now, in the resale market, they've gone for stupid amounts of money because people are idiots. But this is what they did. And they had these, you know, these, these packs of cards, which are these non-fungible tokens on this blockchain. And, you know, the blockchain thing goes into your Ethereum wallet and you apparently own it. But, like, all of this has just created this abstract market. If someone came to me today and said, mate, I've got some Garbage Power Kids NFTs. Do you want them? Because I need some meth. I will sell these to you for 100 bucks right now. How the <laughs> fuck do I know whether they're legit or not? What yeah, do yeah, I call no, the that's, NFT that's guys? There's websites that might say it online, but I don't know if they're legit. This entire thing is shrouded in this like extreme nerdism that I'm sorry, like I'm not buying it. I'm absolutely not buying it. But when it comes down to it, people are fucking buying it. And- not only that, but like there's this idea that this is this like, you know, wonderful utopia for creators and digital artists and shit like that. Eh, I mean, not really. One of the biggest marketplaces is NBA Top Shot, where a whole bunch of fucking videos of people like, you know, passing the ball to each other and dunking are going for like $35,000. It's something that just has no value. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing. Unless I'm yeah, convinced otherwise, look, and I, I invite readers to convince me otherwise. I absolutely invite listeners, if you have an argument as to why NFTs have some sort of actual value validity. and make some degree of sense. Yeah, just, some sort of know, sense of validity. Look, it's, it, 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 is, it, it is, I guess, when we're talking about 
art. It's not precisely art at all. I mean, it, it sort of certainly sticks in the culture. But, but, but you know, where we've got art, it's been where we've got modern art in particular, it's been highly manipulated, and 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 so you're dealing with something that's that's almost beyond real, and this is yeah. now this is now surreal. I mean, the, and, the, yeah. this is just mad. It's a sucker's it is a suckers game. game, and we're the suckers. It's frustrating to fucking watch. Well, we are the suckers. We are the suckers, certainly in terms of funding, and we're not talking about funding artists here. We're not talking about funding. Um, artistic uh, expression, what we're talking about is basically uh, funding the super rich uh, through tax exemptions to to create even more wealth than they've got now. And it's just another fucking market for the sake of having uh, having a marketplace. It's just fucking pointless. And what we're going to find is we're going to find there's going to be a bubble, it's going to burst, and most of the people who lose are going to be the guys who bought in around now with their superannuation cash out. No. They're the ones who are going to lose. The elites aren't going to lose. They'll be fine. No, they'll always be fine. Uh, and uh, moving on now, if there, and moving on, if there was ever a man we could consider non-fungible, it is Pete Evans. Pete is, as Hunter S. Thompson once said of his Samoan attorney, a high-powered mutant of some kind, never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die, which is a real shame because the world would arguably be a little bit better off without him. But for mm-hmm. now, he's still making a noise, listeners. So I bring you The Week in Pete Evans. has been a fairly quiet week in Pete Evans. And look, he hasn't given up his day job. He's still posting shit all over Telegram. Still sharing content Mm. from Tommy Robinson because he seems to have no problem at all with that. Yeah, charming, (laughs) right? The company you keep. It's just a casual racist, nationalist, fascist scumbag. But hey- he just, I think he just sees that they've got something in common, you know. Mm. They, they probably mm. agree on the real history of Germany. Charming. Yeah. So just a, just an update there, still sharing those. But Pete's oh, yeah. fixation, it, this is an extension of an old one, and I really like this one. He's, Of course, he's convinced, and this is like a classic Pete, he's convinced the vaccine yeah. program is actually a plot yeah. by Bill Gates to dramatically reduce the world population. Yeah. Now he has a new reason to believe his own bullshit. Enter the Georgia Guidestones. The Georgia Guidestones? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty cool, huh? Sounds cool. Uh-huh. The so guidestones. Yeah, are they going to guide us to nowhere? Because they're nothing. <laughs> it's a shit Stonehenge. Like, <laughs> basically, things like this are way more interesting when the Druids plot them together like hundreds of years ago. You know, like there's that mystique. It's like, how did they do it? In 1980, <laughs> 1980 they was put up. No, no, no. You, <laughs> you could hire machinery to do this in 1980 at the shops. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, another geological age old. You know, the 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 80s. You know, yeah. It's like it's not an age of mystery. It's an age of <laughs> cocaine and like bad investment decisions. Like just fuck Georgia off. Georgia Guidestones. They'd be uh, they'd be covered in uh, aluminium siding, wouldn't they? The uh, Georgia yeah, Guidestones, basically. Yeah, mm. pretty much. I mean, it's the era. You know, yeah. they're wearing like neon fitness gear. So like. I mean, it's designed to be some sort of compass, calendar, and clock, but apparently it sucks at those things anyway. <laughs> and it's been described as an abacus compared ah. to Stonehenge's computer. <laughs> I don't. I've, I've never thought of Stonehenge as a computer, but if that's the that, if that's the bar that's set and it's underneath Stonehenge it's as a, a com- computer, Stonehenge is a computer. Okay. Yeah. I, I imagine if they saw an iPhone. Um, I mean, like, look, basically this, this thing was commissioned by a lunatic rich guy, had tons of money, and apparently the story goes that he went to the, the marble guy, and the mm. marble guy thought he was a lunatic, didn't want to do the job, gave him a quote that was, like, wildly overpriced, and he still paid it, and they just went, well, I mean, if you're going to give us that much money to do this, I behold, guess we'll do it. Behold the Georgia gods don't, yeah. It's pretty funny. So, like, basically it's got a whole bunch of bullshit engraved into it in eight languages, and the number one point is maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Feel less than we've got now. Mm. Well, it was a fair, it was fair less than, than, than they had then as well. Uh, it was all six very promoting. That six and a half billion gone. But you know what I could do? I could write that on my fucking wall. Who cares? Who yeah. cares? A rich guy had that engraved onto marble. I don't care. But the thing that Pete really loves about these stones is, as usual, anything that fits his narrative, he's fear narrative mm. is great. Mm. We're all going to die? Perfect. 
Got any evidence for that? Well, it's on some stones from the 80s. <laughs> well, all but 500 right. million of us uh, are Fuck in a bit of trouble. Ridiculous. And, mm. of course, he's one of the 500 million, let's face it. So yeah, oh, a yeah. bunch of badly placed stones in Georgia with this Malthusian call for a small population is apparently a really strong reason to believe that the COVID vaccine program was designed to kill us all. This is his, like, recent gotcha moment where it's like, I told you I was right. Okay, <laughs> cool. Thanks, Pete. Once again, going out on a limb, saying really weird shit to scare the shit out of anyone dumb enough to take you seriously. And just like these utterly shit theories to back up other utterly shit theories. <laughs> utterly shit theory inception. And it must be just so fucking tiring, just constantly like reaching for these things to try and back up this fear-mongering nonsense that he drums up in his deluded ketamine-addled brain. It's just tiring and <laughs> sad and scary <laughs> look and uh look uh, pete evans <laughs> god love him that's that that wasn't a that wasn't a quiet week at all that's a busy week. no that's a no, busy it, week look pete. it's uh it's quiet because he hasn't gone out and basically you know like walked barefoot around canberra yeah, i been, do miss he's been I, doing yeah, a lot miss, of thinking he's been doing a lot yeah, of thinking a lot and- of looking at tommy robinson's telegram <laughs> And you have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We've set up a Facebook page you can find fairly easily. And we've got a shitposting group where you can post random things. It's a great discussion. I like yes. it. It's good. Yeah. No, I always look so, at it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like it. And the thing is... This is the call to action. Everyone does it. Promoting a podcast is easier said than done. I mean, shit, we've been wearing our own T-shirts and fuck, it's cringy. I mean, you know, it's just hard. I'm a human billboard now. We are so shameless at this point. All I'm- right. Stop you. Stop you. Stop you. <laughs> and finally, all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's just to invite us to a cheese and jazz night at the local gallery and rob us fucking blind when we get there. Thanks, listeners. Yep, that's the way it See works. You later. Thanks, guys. See you then. Bye.